Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. In many ways, I feel like I am the equivalent of an enormous amount of nicotine placed under your tongue. <laughs> and you know what? There's an explanation for why Jed said that, but you don't get it yet, audience. I think we're going to... We're just going to give you some time to marinate in that in your brain. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Get your, your, contract and consort your own theories. We'll get there eventually. But first, we're going to introduce all the Mercury, Tennessee, Lee Younger. Does that make me the uh, inevitable ensuing vomit? <laughs> no, Lee. Well, it Lee, does not, but that is excellent. I certainly wouldn't describe you that way. But um, yes, yeah, so uh, before we hit record here, uh, as he is... Uh, both a parent to the youth and uh, still very involved with uh, the youth in his ministry. Lee was uh, regaling uh, Jed and I with horrifying tales of the things that are available to today's youth. Uh, this edition came uh, courtesy of something called a Zen, which is apparently uh. a packet or a, something that you put under your tongue and releases almost immediately the nicotine equivalent of 30 cigarettes in your bloodstream. <laughs> Oh, no. No. Don't do it. That's bad. Whenever you hear the equivalent of 30 cigarettes, really no matter what it is, you don't want that. Also, <laughs> yeah. pretty much anything that goes right to your bloodstream, you don't want that either. Uh, unless, yeah. unless we have a multiverse situation where you have 30 versions of Humphrey Bogart all hanging out together. Sure. Well, yeah, yeah, which would be pretty cool. That's right. I don't think they get along. Also fair. I think it'd be a real, uh, I don't think, I think it'd be kind of an anti-Spider-Verse situation where they wouldn't learn any lessons from each other. And there'd just be a lot of uh, 40s style guys bumping chess. Of all the gin joints. (laughs) In all the multiverses. Oh, now this is a horrible, a horrible glimpse into the future where the the Turner Classic Movies multiverse happens. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. And they go back and use AI. That I don't know if either of you saw The Flash, and if you didn't, good for you. Um, but it's at the, the horrible scene in the middle of the like, let's look at weird wax figures of dead people who played these roles for no reason. Uh. Now here's George Reeves. He, he, he Playing Superman ruined his life, and we didn't ask his family. Here he is. Here's Nick Cage. Wow. Here's Christopher Reeves. Um, but doing that, but that every every movie will have an AI generated scene of that in the middle of it now. And it'll just be Oh yeah. What if Casablanca was in color and had a happy ending? <laughs> I'm just imagining like like uh you know, like different different Hitchcock things, like just just different versions of Jimmy Stewart and like rear window and the rope and all these all these classic things, all they're and and they're all like kaleidoscoping in on each other in the, in oh, the way the, the multiverse is wont to do. Yeah, different yep, types yep. of birds that are more uh, exotic and less scary than the birds in the birds. That's right. You're being dive bombed by Toucan Sam. He's yep. still going to rend your flesh, but it's very <laughs> colorful as he does it. It's emus, which in some ways is more horrifying, but they also can't fly. So they're just just running at that phone booth. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here for it, man. I am here for it. 
I, I you know, it's, it's one of the better ideas we've come up with, I think. Um, I, I will point out, and I will transition us, because I'm glad we brought up a wildlife there, because I have, gentlemen, and I'll bring it back around wildlife in a minute, a faith healing emergency. Whoa. What? And uh, I think this is going to, in the way that so many things do, yield a possible business opportunity for your friends here at the Say That Podcast. So, uh, as my co-hosts know, and I can't remember if I've mentioned on the show before, Last couple of years, my wife and I have started uh, fostering cats from the, the yep. local animal shelter. Yes. A lovely yes. way to um, to help out uh, both the animals and the shelter. It keeps shelter out of capacity. And also, it's a nice way to have an animal for a little while. And then when uh, you're kind of done having an animal, you'd be like, okay, you guys can have this back. And uh, my house is going to smell better for a couple months so we're ready to do this again. And they're yeah. very careful about not referring it to it as renting an animal because that's not what it is. And they don't <laughs> like it if you say that at the shelter. Mm, Fostering. Very important. I, I'm I'm here for the rent a kitty. Is this is this the right place? Yeah. Must a, use the correct verb. That's right. That's very important. They're very sensitive about that for probably good reasons. Uh so we've had we've had many. We've had them of different stripes, uh, literally, literally uh ages, whatever. So we had we have an older cat currently. And uh, older cat, uh, not so you may, if you've grown up with cats or not, or just seen the cartoons, you think, well, they always land on their feet. And uh, always is a stretch. Sometimes yeah. they jump off something and they land uh, on one foot and one hip. And said okay. hip breaks a little bit. Oh, no. So such a not thing good. happened. And, you know, we, we took her to the vet with the shelter. Everybody's very cool. So, you know, older cat, things happen. Uh, so you know, she did break her leg. Um and uh, lost a tooth. Wow. Rough, but, you know, things are fine. You know, we got her to the medication, whatever. Can you guys, uh, and in a, in what I say, think is a positive sign that they didn't blame us. They said, can you guys take her again? Because, you know, it's tough to be a, a three-legged cat in a shelter. I said, cool, we'll be happy to do that. That was a couple of weeks ago, and here's what I'm going to tell you. After a couple of weeks in, in our household, uh, cat is walking again. Okay. And I'm going to claim some level of miraculous healing on that nice yeah that's fair that's fair thus saith the lord exactly i think either the cat healed itself through its faith or uh, our <laughs> faith rubbed off on the cat but either way i think pet faith healing could be the next great christian grift Whoa. oh that's good that is good man people like their pets veterinary care is very expensive Pet yeah. faith healing. Yeah. So some some churches already have like the pet blessings. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You know, there there are churches in in many cities in the states any anyway where you can bring in your pet and the, you know the priest or the the pastor will come out and do almost a, always a priest because these in my experience these lean very heavily like uh, Catholic Episcopalian Methodist. Yes. If your guy has vestments, there's likely to be a pet blessing at least once a year. That's right. Yeah. You got a robe, and there's a rope tied around that robe. This is what I'm Your saying. Your pet's getting blessed, baby. Yeah. Well, who do we think the right... Because, I mean, in order to really monetize the the pet faith healing, we, we have to have the right celebrity pastor, celebrity spiritual person to, to really be the face of that. So, I mean, there's there's obvious old school choices like a, a Benny Hinn or a, or a Joyce Meyer, but... What's what's the really marketable way to land this? Like, who's our celebrity get that's going to be the face of, say, that industry's pet faith healing? 
So I, I, there's, there's definitely a couple ways to go with that, as you mentioned, with those those type of things. Um, there's also the uh, the kind of going in the the Superman crypto the Wonder Dog kind of version of things, where it is okay. What megachurch pastor's pet do we make? Ooh, dude, Osteen's Chihuahua. Like there we go. this would be this would be amazing. <laughs> I I'm I'm not even gonna look up what Joe Osteen has a Chihuahua because it feels so true. I'm just gonna roll with right. It. Yeah, that's right. And and to be clear, a Chihuahua with perfect teeth, perfect oh, yeah. pearly white dog teeth. Joel Bonestein. <laughs> well done, sir. Yeah. Well done. Well, when when Jed first said celebrity, before he got to celebrity pastor, I just thought he was going to suggest celebrity. And the first name that came into my mind was Jeff Goldblum. I feel like I feel like Jeff Goldblum would be perfect for this role. I don't know where he stands in the whole pastor thing, but I just feel like he could really sell the the pet blessing deal. Wait, dude, see, I want my I don't even have a pet right now. I want my pet to be blessed by Jeff Goldblum. I didn't know that I needed that, but now that I've heard it, I can't live without it. <laughs> well, the fascinating thing to me about that is um it is a very a very significant change up from the the presentation of your human uh faith healing type pastor. Yeah. Um cuz you know, that's a lot of very kind of charismatical and name it claim it, and, you know jumping around, smashing on a tambourine and trying to get people whipped up. Uh, but I like the idea of kind of the same insanity, but in just a very scattered, very subtly delivered kind of gold bloom patter. That's right. It's like, well, the thing Whoa, about uh, your, look your healing is you got to claim it. If it's, it can't just be out there unclaimed. If it's yours, it has to be claimed. <laughs> you you should probably even name it before you claim it is what i would do healing uh finds a way <laughs> yeah there it is you say you you say you couldn't walk before you got here now you can walk well that's marvelous <laughs> i think yeah i think well we can combine these and it's uh a tiny chihuahua in a turtleneck with giant yes. teeth who is voiced by jeff goldblum Oh, fantastic, Matt. Now, there's a thing I said, and you think, well, that's the craziest thing that they could possibly say about this. Um, and that is where, as so often on this podcast, enter things that actually exist. Oh, no. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So to see um, how, clo- how saturated this market was, I Googled, uh, which is a website that used to work to help you find things on the Internet. Uh, And now is a series of horrifying ads and YouTube links and sometimes a Reddit thread that has the answer to the question you asked. But I put into this Google machine, pet faith healing, just see what would pop up. (laughs) And uh, here's the thing. I I don't say this very often for the Christians. uh, Way better than I thought. Wow. Because most of the stuff is people saying, like, would God even heal my pet? Uh, Is it wrong to ask God for healing my pet to heal my pet? And I clicked on those links, as we often do on the show, uh, looking for somebody saying something positively insane that we can make fun of. And almost two to one, it is people saying, if your pet is important to you, we think that's important to God. And if you want them to be healed, then you should, you should pray for that. And uh, in this one arena, Christians, you didn't let us down. So good wow. job on that. Well, it's about time. I mean, we've only been making the show for like 12 and a half years. So Yeah. Had to happen eventually. Uh, it, who knew that this would be the one subject on which 
things were either fine or we had to look harder than we were willing to to find the awful thing. Yeah. However, yeah. Uh oh. When you move outside the uh, the critically Christian spheres, uh, there is some weird stuff in the world of uh, other kind of new agey pet faith healing. Uh, okay. You've got remote energy healing for pets. <laughs> okay. Is there pet Reiki? Uh, I was almost telling what it is. Long distance Reiki at that. Uh, <laughs> Samadog.com offers energy healing for dogs. Ancient techniques that work. A simple yet effective technique is called the So Hum Meditation. So meditate your dog into health. Okay. Uh, pet energy healing from something called CherokeeBillySpiritualAdvisor.com. Wow, that's a long URL. It's a long URL and one I will not be clicking on because <laughs> I don't feel like we can risk that. Uh, there's also a, li- a link to a Quora. Are you guys familiar with this website? Yeah, yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Um, so a Quora thread that with the question of which is, do animals react to spiritual healing? The one response is by a man named John, who, you know, they have, they have like a little description. She can show your, your bone a few days. And his is shaman, shamanic practice, practitioner and teacher. Okay. I've had the great pleasure of working with many animals over the years. I can tell you that animals do respond well to spiritual healing. They do not have the reasoning mind, uh, parentheses, prefrontal cortex that humans have, so they don't block out or reject what is happening. <laughs> wow. Also, if you are a shamanic uh, healer, do, do you want to, well, this doesn't work too well on people with prefrontal cortexes, but I think you'd enjoy it. So come on in. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get to something truly amazing that I can't. I scrolled this website so many times to make sure this wasn't a Christian thing, and I don't think it is. Uh, this is uh, healingpetloss.com. Okay. So you think, you know, people's pets pass away, very tragic, often yeah. a very traumatic event. Maybe for, I think for a lot of young people, maybe the first experience they have with with death in, in or around the family can often be a pet. See, this would be a wonderful thing. Uh, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's uh, some techniques to help do that. Maybe it's even a support community. No, uh, receive a message from your deceased pet. Oh, stop. Uh, okay. When you have lost a beloved pet and your heart is broken, you might feel a great need to connect with and ask your pet. One of the, one of these questions, are you okay in the afterlife? Can you forgive me? Is there anything I can do for you now? What are some questions you have right now that your beloved animal companion is gone? So what we have here is, and I, I do celebrate this person's efficiency because we seem to have a combination pet medium and maybe pet indulgences. <laughs> the, is there anything I can do for you now does beg the question of a pet purgatory? Oh, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, Here's the thing. For once, we have come up with something weirder than what the Christians are doing, but not weirder than what other people on the internet are doing. (laughs) (laughs) But if for a small, small price, you think that uh, your pet could use some healing and you'd like uh, either either us, uh, our Mm -hmm. miraculously healed cat, or a very shiny tooth chihuahua with the voice of Jeff Goldblum to uh, speak said healing over them. Uh, put $5 in a Ziploc bag 
uh, make sure to seal it so that the blessing doesn't get out and send that to uh, say that podcast. We don't have a PO box anymore. Chicago, Illinois. Hope it gets to us. Yes. Looky, looky. If you believe strongly enough, it will get to us. <laughs> that's that's right. your that's, first test. That's the first word of faith that you have to speak over this yeah. whole process. Yeah. Yeah. And with that said, we will declare emergency off. <laughs> that was a wild trip, Matt. That had yeah, a lot going yeah. on in it. <laughs> I, I celebrate the whole thing. I've got a I've got a a story pulled from Twitter right here about uh, a pastor trying to make some weird point about the Bible by uh, putting whipped cream on it and like some, I don't I think it was like people don't take it seriously. We don't even have time to get into it. We'll have to wait till next week. I don't. Wow. There's too much there. There's already too much weird stuff we've done. We we can only even we can only alienate the listener so much in the first 15 minutes of the show before we feel the need <laughs> to move on and move on. We shall. We're doing the best we can y'all. That's right. Move on. We shall. Some of your fine questions. If you have a question for us, now us all the way to the end. I got some ways you can touch this or you can scroll down to your episode description. Click either of the links you find there. Our first question comes in and says, what does having a Christ centered relationship actually mean? And this is of course, one of our favorite subgenres of question. On uh, the show over the many years we've done it, what does this thing that people keep saying around me have any actual meaning, or are they just saying it to say it? And uh, eh, maybe, maybe certainly the second, but maybe we'll find some of the first. Who's to say that's the joy of discovery on this show? And uh, Jed, I, but I do understand where the question comes from. It is one of those things that gets thrown around a lot. It gets thrown around very vaguely. Um, it's one of those things that I think church people definitely specialize in where there's no bar for you to clear. Um, if you're dating a non-Christian, well, you're certainly not being very Christ-centered. If you're dating another Christian, uh, are you as Christ-centered as you could be? Maybe that's something to think about. Uh, so in actually finding a definition in all this stuff, where do we start? This is a great question. Uh, as Matt, as you mentioned, we, we always celebrate the, what is this? Uh, which, you know, it's a, a thing we should all ask pretty regularly. So I'm going to give you a definition that it's going to sound pretty snarky, but I actually hang with me because I don't mean it in a snarky way. I just want us to, to tell the truth to each other. So in general, most American Christians, when they talk about, you know, having a Christ-centered romantic relationship, whether that's dating or engagement or marriage, functionally speaking, what they mean is our shared hobby is religion. That's what they mean. Mm. The, the stuff, the, the time that our free time, the activities that we do together it all revolves around our religion. We go to church a lot. We go to Bible studies. We sing religious songs. We listen to religious songs. We read religious books. We talk about religious things. We hang out with other religious people. That is um, our disposable time, our disposable income. Uh, that's, that's where it goes. Our hobby, our shared hobby is religion. I want to pause there and note, I'm actually not knocking that. I'm not I'm not making fun of it. I'm not looking down on it. But functionally, that is what people, generally speaking, mean when they say a Christ-centered relationship. That is entirely different from what I would suggest that you consider if you're looking for direction either for a relationship that you're in now or for one that you might be in for the future. 
to be clear, it's it's totally cool to be just interested in religious stuff. You know, I just I just love reading some Paul Bunyan. I just like it. Man, if that makes you happy, I, I think it's great. I think where we start to get into trouble is when we act like that's somehow more valuable than people who like hiking, um, you know, or more valuable than, you know, people who uh, like playing Xbox. Um, if it if it makes you happy, I, I think it's great. Where we start to get into something that's not a hobby and something I'd suggest you look into is a quote from Jesus. And Jesus said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. Let's think about that for a second. Jesus is explicitly making the point, I am here for a reason. I'm, I'm a person on a mission. There's a thing that I'm trying to do. And the reason why I want us to, to really pause and think about that for a second is an awful lot of people who are trying very hard and very ardently and very sincerely to be in what they would term a Christ-centered relationship never actually get around to serving anybody. They are very, very interested in religious subject matter, but they, they never get around to serving anyone, which is the thing that Jesus said he was here to do. So if you're in a relationship and you're trying to figure out what would make it in an authentic sense, more Jesus-y, or if you're looking at the future and wondering what would that look like, I want to encourage you to really think about the idea of serving. And I think mm. that in the context of a relationship, that can, there, there are two kind of key areas to look at. The first is serving your partner. If you want to have a really amazing relationship, figure out how to be a servant to your partner. Um, by contrast, one of the commonalities that I think comes up a lot in relationships that are that are struggling are two people who don't particularly have an interest in being in serving each other or, or being servants to each other. Um, but I think if you if you want to have a a really cool relationship, the best bet for it certainly is figuring out how do you be a servant to your partner. But then the next thing in terms of that idea of, of serving and of a relationship that in some way reflects the heart and the character of Jesus who explicitly said that he was here to, to serve other people is how do you guys as a couple serve other people? How do you take your lives? How do you take the, um, the home that you share if you share a home? How do you take the resources that you have if you share resources? How do you take the the strength and the solidity that you have, you know, together? Hopefully you have those things. And how do you use those, at least on occasion, to be a benefit to somebody else, to be an encouragement to somebody else? There are here's where it gets really, really fun is there are an infinite number of ways to do that. There is there is no limit. There is no running out of new, fresh, cool, fun, interesting ways to serve other human beings. Yeah. And if you're in a relationship where you're getting to do that with a partner, it actually is even cooler. Um, and there are even more possibilities and, and even more interesting things to, to do and try. At least in my experience, that's true. And I want to go back to where I started, the idea of, you know, for most people, when they say a Christian relationship, they mean our hobby is religion. Again, having a real interest and focus on just religious subject matter doesn't intrinsically get anybody to a place of serving other human beings. Mm. 
I've I have never witnessed that to be a necessary linkage. Sometimes those things will correlate, but it's not a guarantee. If you are listening to this, you're like, no, the service thing sounds good. Then focus on serving other people. The the idea of just well, what I what I want to do is I just want to listen to Caleb all day, dude. If that makes you happy, that's totally cool. That's not going to get you magically to a place of serving other people. It's not going to get you to a place of of serving your partner, and it's not going to get you and your partner together to a place of serving other people. But deciding that that's important, it, it's core to the heart of the person of Jesus, and it's something you want to reflect in your own life. That will get you to that point. So, I think you know again, kind of that really hobby level focus on religion is functionally what most people mean. But I think the good stuff is found in learning how to serve your partner and then together as a team, learning how to serve other people. I think that's a fantastic place to start things off. And Lee, where do we pick it up? Yeah, I I completely agree with, uh, with everything that Jed said right there. And it's so important. I mean, you know, this is a really cool question, but in, for most people and, and definitely, definitely, like when when Jed and I were growing up in church, this was just Christian speak. Yeah, this was just a thing that people said because this is what they thought they were supposed to say. Like you start dating somebody in the youth group, and it's like we need to make sure that our relationship is centered on Christ. Well, no one has any idea what that means. N- no one that's saying that thing out loud has any idea what that means. But when you get down to um, I, most of the people probably listening to this know that I've spent. Over the last two decades, uh, last like 22 years, uh, working with uh, high school-aged folks, middle school-aged folks, college-aged folks, young folks who are figuring out what it would mean to be in a relationship, people who have uh, gotten married, you know, done a lot of premarital counseling, a lot of marriage counseling, a, a lot of a, a lot of weddings and that kind of stuff, and been in a lot of those conversations. And what Jed is talking about with serving is the critical piece. I I was doing um, some premarital counseling for a couple one time and we got to the end of like, you know, six sessions of like, you know, counseling and talking together. And the, the dude in this couple said to me, you know, out of everything that we've talked about, um, I can't remember all the things that you said, but the number one thing that I'm walking away from this is, is that our job, our goal is to figure out what it would mean to serve each other, to sacrificially uh, figure out what it would mean to make each other's lives better by serving each other. And I was like, I think you guys are going to be fine. You know, and, and that's kind of the heartbeat of this thing. When you think about, um, like, so, so let's, look at, let's look at this idea on its own merits. Forget the fact that it's Christian speak and it's a thing that people say because I think it's a thing that they're supposed to say in youth group or whatever. What would it actually mean to make Christ the center of a relationship that you're involved in, whether that's a romantic relationship, a friendship relationship, a parent-child relationship, whatever? Um, To me, that would mean taking the heartbeat and the ethic of Christ himself and dealing in this relationship the way that he dealt with people. Now, when you consider the way that Christ treated people, when you consider the way Jesus treated people, the dignity with which he raised up people who were down in the dirt, and the sharpness which with, with which he dealt with people who were so full of themselves and uh, you know put them in their place or whatever, but principally, the way that he sacrificially gave his time 
and his energy for the best for other people. He treated people, his, his sense of value, his sense of dignity and honor and love and respect was, I will spend myself for your best. And that to me is like, that's a great place to start is like, what would it look like for me in my friendships, in my romantic relationships, in, in, in the relationships, in my work and stuff like that to, in a healthy way to spend myself, to serve you so that it ends up for your best. That's what we want to do is how did Jesus treat people? Okay, what would it look like for me to treat people the way that he treated people? It's that is such a simple place to start. Um that's that is a simple way to think about this and a simple place to start is in a sacrificial way, what would it look like for me to spend myself? Um my energy, my time, my words, my my creativity for your best. That is the kind of ethic or value or dignity that that Jesus gave to people when he was in relationship with them. Whatever the Christian speak is, I think that would be a great place to start. Fantastic stuff from, from both of these guys. And as ever, uh, we remind you, when there is something like this that is just pure uh, Christianese, as some might put it, um, if it, there is someone using it or you think of, thinking of it that can bring these constructive things that these guys have given you, then by all means, that's great. That that can be a useful thing, be a useful thing to communicate to other people. If someone is trying to weaponize such a concept just to um, make you feel bad on the uh, premise that, well, if you're doing something, it must be not that good. What are you, what are you over there in a happy relationship? Must not be thinking about <laughs> Jesus enough. Um, you're always free to disregard that and never think about the phrase Christ-centered relationship again if it's not actually helping you live a, in a better relationship or with the, your, your partner or Jesus, always an option. With that, we're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in anonymously and says, how much can I disagree with a pastor or mentor? There's no such thing as someone who's right all the time. How much disagreement is normal? I think this is actually a really, really good question. You know, we talked a lot on the show over the years, kind of on both sides of this, of um, when to maybe n- discontinue or discount some level of a, a pastoral relationship. or And we've talked about the, how positive a, a good pastor or a good mentor can be. Um, but I think there is some shading in that, of the, as our question actually points out. There's no such thing as someone who's right 100% of the time, and certainly no such thing as someone you agree with 100% of the time. That could include... Uh, people who you think are smart on most things, you agree with on most things, you, whose advice you would take on almost anything, but they say something that hits your ear weird, or you think, eh, that don't actually know if they were, this is a fairly common one, I think, sometimes. I don't know if either me describing that or them hearing that led to uh, them understanding my situation uh, based on the advice they gave me on that or the thing they said. Uh, so, Jed, where do we start off with this idea of a level of disagreement that is normal and maybe not detrimental to the relationship? It's a great question. Great question. So I want to encourage you to kind of try to learn to parse between at least three categories of potential disagreements because they, they point in very different directions, right? So the, the three categories I want to encourage you to think about are big picture themes, small details, 
and looming threats. Mm. And I'll tell you what I mean by each. So the first is big picture themes. Big picture themes within Christianity include things like grace and is grace good? Um, Are we called thematically to be kind to people who are immigrants? These these are examples of, of big picture themes. There's a million ways to implement them, but just thematically. If you're having any kind of regular disagreements on big picture themes, you should find a new pastor. Yeah. If so, let's use the two examples that I mentioned, you know, grace and um, and being kind to to immigrants and outsiders. Um, the Bible is crystal clear that grace is a good thing um, and that it's a free gift and that um, God loves all of us exactly as we are. And again, we can get into a thousand details on how to communicate that and and the ins and outs and what have you. But there really shouldn't be any disagreement on the big picture theme that grace is good and the way that God operates. Likewise, the Bible is crystal clear. It comes up so many times that we are called to be kind to outsiders and merciful to people who are not a part of... um, our typical background and people who are immigrants from other places, like, again, it comes up a lot in the Bible. Now, how to implement that in your life, in your town, and your church? Yes, there's a bajillion ways to, to look at all that. But the theme, the big picture thing is, is pretty straightforward. So if there's a disagreement there, that almost certainly is something where, all right, it's, it's time to find a new pastor and it's time to find a new church. By contrast, Let's look at the idea of small details. If you're involved in the life of your church, then you're involved in implementing things. You're involved in implementing the Sunday morning worship service, the the Wednesday night potluck, the the Tuesday afternoon Bible study. And not only are there a million different ways to implement those things, there's not necessarily a right way to implement those things or or to implement every detail of those things. You are bound to have disagreements with the pastor and with everybody else in the same way that you're bound to have disagreements with people at your office. You're bound to have disagreements with people at other places that you volunteer. Uh, you're, you're bound to have disagreements in your own home uh, because um, there's a lot of details. There isn't necessarily a right way to do these things. Um different people bring different perspectives to every subject, and that's actually generally a good thing. Um, And so the skill of how do we recognize that there will be disagreements, ultimately somebody has to make a decision or nothing ever moves forward. Um, And so how do we go about making sure that the right voices have been heard, but a decision still gets made and that, you know, in the wake of a decision being made, we can all be supportive of it and work to implement it. That's just life stuff. Um, and in fact, I would say if you just as if you are disagreeing on big picture themes, that's a problem. If you're never disagreeing on on kind of implementation details, that's weird. Like mm. if there's never any like, well, you said A, but I would consider B. I think it's worth examining why there's never a competing vision on on that stuff, because there kind of should be. So that kind of ought to be happening. The last thing that I want to float out just for you to to think about and consider is kind of this this other category and it's this is going to require um non-black or white thinking 
which I think sometimes feels uncomfortable for, for Christians. And so the, the way that I termed this was the idea of looming threats. But, but let me give you an example of what I mean. Suppose that you have a pastor that's just really kind of fixated on the end times. I just really love thinking about the end times. I've been reading a lot of books about it. I just like getting into it. You know, in my new sermon series, I want to draw a lot of parallels between, you know, what, what's happening today and what the Bible says about the end times. Here's what's interesting is there's nothing inherently wrong with any of that. And we're not necessarily violating big picture themes of scripture in terms of, you know, grace and welcoming and acceptance and being kind to outsiders and whatnot. But it's kind of headed in a funky direction. Here's, here's what's interesting is a person can stand up and give a sermon about the end times that is inarguably scriptural and contains no obvious exegetical problems or heretical statements that's still just weird. That's still just, you're creeping me out. And why are we talking about this, man? Like, what is, what does this have to do with my life, bud? Like, what, what is this? And listen to your heart when it says that. Seriously, listen to your heart and your brain when it's like, this is weird. I'm, I'm not sure about this. God gave you a heart and a brain for a reason. And I know that if you grew up in church, you've had people tell you that, you know, your thoughts are wicked and your heart is wicked. Forget all that noise. Listen to your heart. Listen to your brain. If it's telling you something is kind of weird and kind of off-putting and kind of troubling, pay attention to that. Depending on the nature of the church that you go to, the nature of your relationship with, with your pastor, maybe it's worth having a sit down and be like, hey, man. Love you, but um, what's up with all of the obsession with the end times? Can you can you talk to me about that? Because that's kind of weirding me out. Maybe you can do that. Maybe you can't. But things that are just kind of this looming, oh, that doesn't seem great. Pay attention to that. That's not the same exactly, exactly as a disagreement. It's not something that we typically think of as a disagreement because it's not like they are saying A equals B and you're like, no, A equals C. It's completely wrong. It's more like, Dude, I feel like you're pointed in a direction that I'm not pointed in and I don't want to go. And it's it's not that it's exactly unscriptural. It's just that's not where I'm at, man. You're, you're playing jazz and I'm into rock and roll. You are allowed to be like, there's a vibe that I'm looking for and this is not my vibe. Learning to pay attention to vibe and respect your vibe needs is a good thing and a right thing. And I want to encourage you, if you've not done that before, to consider that as a part of the arsenal of what makes you you and what you should be looking for. I think that's all fantastic stuff. Two great takeaways from that. Um, One is uh, respect your vibe needs is really a great way to go through life. A very important thing to say. The other is I think Jed gave us an amazing... uh, Overly polite, almost Southernism for when someone is clearly pulling something out of their hind end, which is, well, you know, yeah, pastor, I thought the the first 20 minutes were great. Uh, towards the end there, he started playing some jazz, but then I think he really got it back by the end there. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. I think the, on top of all the good wisdom, those are two, two just good. extra little things for you to take and work into your life wherever you'd like. Uh, <laughs> but Lee, uh, also great stuff on the question of, of, the main question here is where we close that out, man. I, I want to pick right up with that whole vibe conversation. I love that so much. Uh, the first thing I want to say is as a person who's had the same 
mentor for the past 22 years or maybe even more like kind of 25 years, I guess at this point, um, I, I love my mentor dearly. I disagree with him all the time. Like he doesn't think the Beatles are good. So he's just <laughs> wrong about that, you know? So like, but he, he's a wonderful man. Um, but I disagree with him all the time. Um, and, uh, and, and I think so many of Jed's points are so well taken that like, you know, the, the there, there are little things that you're going to disagree about and it makes sense to, to, to hold your ground on all that stuff. I really like this vibe thing. Okay. Um, I, I want to talk about a different side of this along with the, the vibe conversation, which is, um, if you do have somebody that you're supposed to be following or whatever, who's on some weird stuff and you can, you can smell hink in the air, then you, you, you need to take a walk on that man. And, and you need to stand up for the fact that like, I can tell this is hinky and I need to, I, I need to roll on this. Um, all, all of that makes perfect sense. If you are in a relationship with somebody who is trustworthy and has proven themselves to, to have your back and be somebody that y- you have grown under and all those kinds of things. And <clears throat> like Jed said, like on the, on, on core issues, like you are aligned and they are on the, they're on the real deal and everything like that. An important question is, and this is just an important self-reflection question for anybody, is if somebody I trust comes to me with something I need to see about myself that's going to be difficult for me to take in, am I open to that? Am, am, Am I willing to look at myself in the mirror with the humility of someone who has earned my trust? That is an important question. And I ask that because that moment is going to be super uncomfortable. That is not a fun moment. That does not mean that's an unhealthy moment. Um, sometimes a mentor will bring something into your court that you need to look at, that you need to deal with, that you might need to think twice about, that is, that is, is something that's hard to face. Um, and that's, why, that, that's exactly why what Jeb was ending that response with on the, on the vibe thing is so important. If you have a, the type of mentor situation where they're always criticizing you or always critiquing you and never encouraging you, that's not the vibe, man. That's, that's not what you're looking for. That's not the kind of environment where a person can grow in a healthy way. If you're looking for, if you're in a situation or a relationship where somebody clearly has your back, is devoted to your good, has worked hard for you to to progress and grow and they encourage you and they bring you along and they open their heart to you and they're helping you to learn and to all of those things. And then sometimes they have something that is going to be difficult that you need to face or to look at. That's a healthy thing. And that's a different vibe than someone who is always busting your chops. Someone who is always has something to say all that to say, like um, with, and, and those are healthy things within a healthy marriage, a healthy friendship, a healthy mentorship, um, that no one is going to agree with you 100% on everything about the way that you see the world. You're not going to agree with them 100% on the way that they see the world. Um, and occasionally they might have a healthy critique. If it's all criticism, if it's if you're always getting your chops busted, that's a vibe that you need to get away from. If it is like 
this is a person who has my back. This is a person who loves me. This is a person who encourages me. Am I willing for that person who has proved trustworthy to alert me to something that may be out of pocket, that may need some tightening up, that may need some attention? If I'm not able to see that, that's not a healthy place for me to be in. Do you see the, the there's a tricky space that you live in there where you are realizing I'm in the I need to read the vibe of like I just love that word of like is this a person who is who is somebody who um is is devoted to my best someone who has proven themselves to be someone that I can rely upon and who is working alongside me to see me become the best version of me if that's the case then sometimes we're going to disagree and that's totally okay but i also need to be sure that if i trust this person i am open to them bringing something into my corner that i might need to pay attention to or tighten up i think again perfectly put from both of these guys and i think exactly as as jed and lee are laying out there there are levels of disagreement and that is fine um but one of the things outside of you know the kind of theological in in line with kind of the theological uh baseline that Jed gave you there I would add kind of uh, what Lee put on there one of the baselines should be how does this person feel about you yeah yeah like again if this is someone who you trust and is built into you and is always cheering you on and helping you out and they happen to think that the Beatles aren't good then you got to roll your eyes and say, well, how many number one records does Earl Scruggs have? That's what I thought. Scoreboard. <laughs> um, or, you know, you're equivalent in this situation. Um, but, and that, but that ties into other things. If you say like, oh, we, if we, we've all, and the three people you're listening to on the show have given a lot of advice over the years. Uh, most of it asked for, um, but not all of it. Great. In my, at least I will speak for myself here. And when it hasn't been great, I think one of the the a common theme of that is I I did not fully understand the situation to which I was giving advice, or I did not tailor the advice I was giving to the person I was giving it to. I was giving if general best practice or what I would do, which is uh, what I would do, no matter who the I is, is almost never good advice. Uh, what should you do? can readily be answered by what I would do or what I'd imagine I would do were I in a similar situation that you were in. But everybody does that occasionally. Everybody's got a, a day where they're low on energy or they're low on just an ability to absorb details. And it is perfectly okay for you if you have a healthy relationship with a person, a pastor, a mentor, uh, somebody at work or whatever, to think, ooh, you know what? This person is is really good 95% of the time. Today might just be in the 5% for whatever mm. reason. Um, maybe we circle back. Maybe I ask someone else. Maybe I uh, just try this one out on my own. Doesn't mean it's a bad person. Doesn't mean it's a problematic situation. As Jed was saying, sometimes you have to trust the vibe. And sometimes the vibe is, I think this is a really good person who normally has smart ideas. I don't think today I was getting their best work on one of those, at least one of those fronts. And that's okay. That's right. So very important for you. It's very important. There's something in that as well. It's very important for you to give a, someone who's in a mentor or pastoral leadership situation room to be human and to be flawed. 
it is also very good for them to want that room and ask for that room uh, in their own uh, thing because someone who never mentions that, eh, but what do I know? I'm just some guy. That is also a red flag in and of itself in some ways. With that, we're going to move on to our final question of the day here. It comes in and says, the Bible is pretty clear. God is love. Eric Christian said there's a balance to that and that God is also just. Are those opposites? Is one more important than the other? We started off with a uh, a bit of Christian uh, ephemera that they just like to say because they think it sounds nice. And now we get to some Christian phrasing that they say because they think it sounds important, which is in some yeah. ways even more dangerous. So, uh, Jed, uh, the very common, I know as we all grew up and you here today, of God is love, but don't go too far with all of that. Uh, so a very common refrain that comes up in many ways. And where do we start with that idea? This is a great question. So um, I'll tell you what I think. You are free to do with this whatever you like, but this is what I think. The first thing and the most important thing is that um, I think this is often a um, a dishonest discussion. Mm. In other words, I think most of the time when people are using this particular talking point of, well, God is love, but God is also just, what they mean is either there are people I want to be a jerk to, and that runs afoul of God being love, so I would like to emphasize something else so that I have license to continue being a jerk. Or, very similarly, it is a person with actually a good heart and good intentions who's like, I've been told there are people I have to be a jerk to. I kind of don't want to, but because um, I want to be loving, and I'm pretty sure that God is love, but I've been told I have to be a jerk to these people. Um, and the people telling me I have to be a jerk are, are saying that that's because God is also just. So, I mean, that sounds right. So I, 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 I guess I, I have to be, a, I guess I have to be a jerk then. And the thing that I want to encourage you on is this is a disingenuous conversation. Mm. This is not people trying to engage in a dialectic where they hold two seemingly unrecognized, you know, un, uh, uh, um, balanceable truths in each hand and bring them together. It's just people that are looking for a loophole where they don't have to love people that they don't want to love. Mm. Um, so let's, let's note that, that most of the time that's, that's what this actually is, but to try and give a, a real and actual and substantive answer. Here's what I think. And I would encourage you to at least think about it. We're going to start with humility. One of the things about humility that's important is humility reminds us of the things that we know and the things that we don't know. It reminds us of the things that are simple and of the things that border on the unknowable. Love is actually fairly simple, at least in most of its living out. And for proof of that, we're going to turn to Jesus talking. This is Matthew chapter 7. This is a passage that you have almost certainly heard before. Um, and Jesus says, and this is about to land on the literal golden rule, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven good, give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus is making any number of points here, but one of them is love means someone says I'm hungry, and you're like, here's some food. Yeah. Um, and And if you're wondering... The, the passage in Scripture, which is in 1 John, where it literally says God is love, makes an identical point. 
it's literally talking about someone's hungry and needs help, and you're like, boom, here's food. All right, well, you you just proved the existence of God because you showed love. That That's the actual point that, that First John is making, which is identical to the point that Jesus is making here. Yes, it's true, and we know, for example, from the beginning of Philippians, where Paul talks about not our love growing in knowledge and depth of insight, that there are more and less effective ways to love people. And certainly as we as we grow and as we mature, we want to love with greater efficacy. But love actually starts pretty simply. Um, love is, oh, there's a need that you have. I have a way to help fill that need. Here you go. Yeah. That's it. Boom. Congratulations. You loved. You did very well. That was A plus love. By contrast, justice is extraordinarily complex. And the proof of that is the existence of a law library. Mm. Laws are attempts to figure out how do we actually implement justice in this world. And the best that we've been able to come up with through thousands of years of recorded history is an almost infinite number of words to try and figure out how to do justice. That doesn't mean that justice is a fool's errand. That doesn't mean that it's impossible, but it means that it's extraordinarily complex. And if you want to move from the realm of law and case law and legal theory to philosophy and theology, you can go uh, through the whole history of philosophy from Socrates to Kierkegaard to Derrida, and we are reminded that justice and its intersection with matters of faith is anything but simple. Mm. Many of the the most important um, philosophical works and truly theological, because Kierkegaard was, was both, was both philosophy and theology, don't exactly land on, here it is, bow tied on top, this is what justice is, perfectly good definition that you can always use. In fact, one of the most important philosophers for the world that we live in today is a guy named Jacques Derrida, who's the father of deconstruction, which is a word that you have probably heard. When he talks about justice, one of the things that he notes is that for justice to be as good as it can be, it must be basically infinitely specific to the person and the situation in order to be as appropriate as possible, which also means, and this wasn't a point he was trying to make, but I'm going to extend what he said to something I think is is scripturally true. God alone would know what is just for another human being because God alone infinitely understands that person, their situation, their motivations, their limitations. Justice borders on the unknowable. Mm. I think it's interesting that God's character is just, but it also makes sense because God knows all things. You and I do not. If you're looking for a Cliff Notes version of how you live out justice, the best I can tell you is don't cheat people. Mm. Be equitable and fair in the way that you treat other human beings. That's, that's probably about as good of a general purpose guide as you could give to anybody. After that, it gets extraordinarily complex. Again, it involves the whole history of philosophy and theology and every law library in the world to try and get to the point of treating people in some kind of just way. But love, baby, love is simple. Love is easy. It's easy to understand at the very least. You are hungry. Here is food. That is love. Here's the thing that I would encourage you towards. 
when you are so versed and so good and so experienced at love that you feel bored with it, then try and figure out how do we add some justice to that. Until then, just focus on love. Mm. Until you are so expert at love that you feel like I couldn't possibly learn anything else about love. I couldn't possibly love anybody any better than I currently do. There's nowhere else to go. Just focus on love. Mm. Leave justice to God. He understands it in a way that you and I never will focus on love. Absolutely. Also, bored with love sounds like a great, like, second tier temptation song. <laughs> I was thinking The Cure. Oh, that's a different yeah, take on it. I like that, fair. too. There's a lot of options. You, you yourself at home can come up with one. It's a fun game to play. Feel free. Uh, but also, a fantastic stuff in that answer there. And Lee, where yeah. do we close this out? It's, it is great stuff, man. And this is such a cool question. When I was growing up in church, um, people were very careful to say, now God is love. Yes. But, and that Don't was a very, nuts. yeah, that was a very pregnant, you know, pause right there with the, but God is also holy. Ah. So, you know, I mean, he wants to love you, but he's really pissed about all the sin. <laughs> He's really pissed about all that. So you should feel bad about that. Um, you know, it was very interesting. Just, I, I grew up thinking about the opposite. Like, I grew up kind of thinking about love and justice or love and holiness, if you want to say it that way or what, whatever, as like, uh, you know, kind of two different end zones in a football field. These are the opposite ends of the field. These are two different things. Um, and... I was reading um, the uh, Paul's letter to the Romans one uh, one time, and there's a place in Romans chapter 13 where the Apostle Paul is talking about the law, which the law is, you know, the kind of the Ten Commandments. It's kind of the the heart of the summation of the holiness of God, and the you know just the righteousness of God, the justice of God. Righteousness and justice are are terms that are uh, interchangeable in the Old Testament and in the New. Um, and Paul says this amazing thing when he's talking about the law in Romans chapter 13, where he says, love is the fulfillment of the law. Like what, whatever, whatever you would do to, to have like perfect holiness, righteousness, justice to love would be to fulfill all of those things. I completely agree with Jed that the complications of justice are beyond me. What it would take to create a just society is something that I, I can't possibly wrap my head around, and the complexities are astronomical. Um, but in the heart of God, the, these are not the opposite end zones on a football field. They are the same things in the sense that to love is to, and we've talked about this concept a couple of times on this episode already. It's it's cool how much all these questions have have uh, overlaid each other and and dovetailed together. But to love is to work for someone's best. It's to it's to strive and to and to work and to serve to the end of of someone's best. For me to. To love Matt or Jed or my wife or my children is is to do whatever would have the end game of being for their best. And 
justice has the same heartbeat, which is whether that's equality, whether that's everybody getting a fair shake, whether that's dignity or honor or whatever, like the the justice of God, which I, I firmly believe and hope in the end is going to be something that rolls down like a river, as the, the book of Amos says, um, that the justice of God is going to roll like a river down on those who deserve it and the, on their on those who have not had it. Um, this is an expression of the love of God. The, the, the way that I was raised was to think, don't go crazy, exactly as Matt laid it out from the beginning of the question and, and even when I started talking, don't go crazy about the love of God. Yes, yes, God loves you technically, but also God is very holy and, and, and rules must be followed. And then it turns out that the, that the whole summation of uh, of the holiness, righteousness, and justice of God has to do with love. It has to do with if 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 God lays something out for you, it's because He wants your best. I'm going to quote Jed from from an from an ancient episode of this podcast. But you know, even even when God says "don't," He's not just saying "don't." He's saying "don't hurt yourself," because I love you. Because I want what's best for you. I'm always. Like the justice of God is always working towards the best for people. Love and justice, yes, justice is complex, exactly as Jed said, and and love is simple, but they are not opposites. And in the heart of God, they work towards the same end, which is the dignity, the honor, the elevation and encouragement, peace and prosperity of every single heart that God has made. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Fantastically put there. Uh, if I think we're going to leave it on that note. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. You want to keep that entirely anonymous. Take you out with a song this week. This is a song produced by Jed featuring uh, some very talented people named David and Elena Copeland based on the nice. verse that Jed was just referencing there. Uh, that Lee was just referenced there. Amos five twenty four. Jed referenced it in his own way. It was just sure. a lot more, uh, a lot more subtle. Go back into the episode and see if you can find it. We're gonna do kind of a blues clues thing in the outro this week. But Amos five twenty four. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Let justice roll, justice roll like a river, like a river.
Like a river, like a river.